Hello, building pros, and welcome to the Profiles podcast presented by LL Flooring. I'm Tom Kreitler, and this is a podcast that's aimed at those in the building and remodeling industry where we look for those amongst you who are making a positive difference in their business and in their communities. And we ask that they share their expertise so that we can all learn together. Now, let's get to work. My guest today, Dave London, is a successful builder. In fact, he's a division president for Timberlake Homes, a company that's been building for over a half century. But he also has another very important role. He's a member of the board for the Home Builders Care Foundation, a nonprofit organization that provides cost-effective solutions to other nonprofits with shelter-related construction needs. Dave, welcome to the Profiles Podcast. No, thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be with you. You know, I was struck by the role of the Home Builders Care Foundation in the sense that there are many organizations amongst the construction industry that seek to aid those that are in need of projects done. You know, Habitat for Humanity, for example, comes to mind. Your organization is very unique in the sense that you help nonprofits specifically. They're essentially your customer, and then they, in turn, can help serve the needs of the communities that they're devoted to. That's a really interesting perspective. Yeah, it's it's kind of a, a neat thing. It, we one of our legendary members, Bob Mitchell. He was a giant in the is a giant in the Maryland building community. Started our this foundation about forty years ago, and with the idea that we have expertise and we have been very fortunate, and let's find a way to give back, and specifically to those who are you know, shelter challenged or vulnerable or just you know, homeless disabled uh, people in our communities, and with the idea that we have the knowledge, we have experience, we have connections, and so uh, we raise money, but we also, more importantly, leverage those relationships where we we can get suppliers sometimes to donate materials. We have people donate labor, donate their time, so that we're a multiplier to a nonprofit. So you have, a, you have someone who's providing shelter for a um, homeless population, yeah, they are, they have limited means, and we can leverage all these resources to, um, to really make a difference. You're actually doing what you specialize in. I've talked to those that have been in this space in the past, builders and remodelers, that is, and invariably they also get sort of sucked into the social services side of it, which is not their area of expertise in trying to seek additional aid and support for those that they serve you're essentially identifying those that are already in that space. They're doing what they do. They're supporting the homeless. They are providing treatment facilities, whatever their area of expertise is. And you don't tell them how to do that, but you make it possible for them to be much more successful in giving them the spaces and the environment to conduct that work in a very successful way. I think that's really admirable and really smart. Yeah, it, it's again. It's we are very fortunate, you know. Those of us we look around the room and the other builders, and we say we we need a way to give back. And you know, what better way than to you know help the disadvantaged and the you know whether it be we we've helped some you know, disabled vets. We've in the past couple of years we've helped. And sometimes we get repeat customers where we had a shelter we built some years ago or help build, and then they came back to us about you know, 14 years later. They needed some help redoing their kitchens, and so we went back and helped them again. Um, and really, it, when you have a room full of people with a lot of knowledge, we can find solutions to virtually anything that the you know the caregivers have, 
And you're right, they can focus on what they do best, and we can help them overcome you know, their, their facility challenges. You have an interesting background. You weren't always a builder. You, you came from a legal career. That must have been an interesting turn back in 2003. How did that all come about? Well, I, I did give, they, they say God draws a straight line and a crooked path. <laughs> I want to be an architect, and um, for a variety of reasons, uh, ended up not going that path in school, um, ended up getting my law degree, and I was a prosecutor for 15 years, um, and met the owner of Timberlake through a mutual friend, and one thing led to another, and I came on board, and now, almost 18 years later, you know, here I am. So um, Here you are. <laughs> Having been in public service for so long, the nice thing about the Home Builders Care is, you know, it's a good way to, you know, to, again, to find a way to give back to people and serve public. You know, what strikes me about the kinds of spaces that you work in is that they are they're truly public spaces uh, in the sense that they have different needs and different demands than, say, a home might have. You know, for example, ADA design and, and that sort of thing. Are there different levels of challenges that you face because of the public nature of the work these charities do? There can be. I mean, a, a recent project we did a couple of years ago, um, just pre-COVID, it was a, um, a, a charity called Calmra. It's in Prince George's County here in Maryland, and they have a series of houses for um, people that have cognitive disabilities and are even you know, almost basically come, you know, bedridden. And one of their houses that had four bedrooms for their residents that were completely bedridden, they had one bathroom that was completely inaccessible for anyone in a wheelchair or was mobility, you know, challenged. And their other one was just unuseful. It leaked to the basement, it had issues. And so we got together with an architect and we redesigned, we combined both bathrooms into one and we had accessible tub, accessible showers, basically redid the whole thing. And, you know, the total project value to this was well kind of a smaller project was it was fifty thousand dollars to this entity, and so there's no way they could have raised that money on their own to have improved this house and so yeah, it was so satisfying, but to your point, you know wheelchairs couldn't even get through the hallways of part of this home, and so there was lots of challenges to you know this is a nineteen sixties house that's been repurposed to a group home. Yeah, I'm actually looking at your website, which, by the way, you ought to check out HBCF Home Builders Care Foundation, hbcf.org. Uh, and the the post you have about this project is really interesting. And I can see from some of the demolition exactly what you're up against. And, man, what a challenge that must have been. Those are the moments where you go, oh, you just grunt, you know, when you finally realize the full scope <laughs> of what has to be done to make this place right. And as you say, that's a very small project. There have been some other uh, much larger projects that you have uh, taken on. Tell us about some of your other favorites. Well, one of our other favorites was a, it's not necessarily shelter-related, but it's, it's a, um, there's some uh, group called Patriot Point. It's on Maryland's eastern shore. And these guys got together to provide a retreat for um, you know, our nation's wounded. You know, when they're family members, they can come there on the weekends and unwind, decompress. And it was just an old, old home built in the 1920s. And it had gone up and gone lots of additions and improvements over the years, but it needed new roofing, new decking, new siding, new windows. It needed a wheelchair lift. We found that a 30-year-old addition wasn't done properly. And so we actually had one of our members basically kind of become the, the, the project manager for this. And we worked with um, 
Pella windows. We worked with Hardy plank siding uh, to leverage, you know, with the manufacturers to get lots of discounts and lots of things donated. And, um, you know, there was, we also used some of our funding that our foundation has to actually pay for a lot of the work. That was over $300,000, but it's just a phenomenal group that does this great work just to help make a difference in these wounded veterans' lives. I notice that you have a way of organizing the size and the scope of, of projects that you take on. I'd like to talk to you a bit about that. So you have them broken down into turnkey projects, classic projects, and marquee projects. Of course, management and organization of any size project is key to its success. How do you organize your projects and what do these three brackets mean? Well, we, we started the turnkey ones as a way to, you know, someone just, it's a small ask from an organization. You know, it's typically you know, $5,000 or less. So they'll put a grant in, maybe they new, need new floors in the bathroom. And oftentimes those are, we're just going to, you know, uh, cut a check to someone and, you know, it's a deserving, we have a a process we go through and our board will vote on all the projects, but it's a way uh, we, you know, we triage them, but we give the money directly to somebody. So those are some smaller projects. The classic projects are probably the ones more in that $25,000 to $50,000 range where we're going to get a house captain, someone from one of our builder members to marshal a project through and we're going to leverage relationships to try and get material donated or given to us at cost. And um, then we'll sub- supplement that with uh, with funds. So in that case, the captain becomes essentially sort of like the GC for the project. Exactly, exactly. We, we did one last during COVID because we were limited of what we could do as far as you know being working in inside places, we uh, decided to give out some checks to charities that provide shelter. And one of them was the Lighthouse Shelter in Annapolis. It's a phenomenal group that does um, all kinds of programs for the homeless. And in giving them a check, we just got talking and say, well, what challenges do you have? And they said, well, our woman's shelter, the HVAC system is gone. It just doesn't work. And so we got with one of our suppliers and captain that. And, you know, we basically, we got the materials some donated, some at cost, and it was about $25,000 worth of work, but we replaced uh, two systems in this woman's shelter. So that was more of a classic one where it was right. relatively quick, short duration in and out. And the marquee ones would be more like the Patriot Point I described to you, or we're going to actually yeah. maybe build or donate a lot of time, materials, and money to do a, you know, a, a large shelter that needs a lot of help. So you have a team that provides the initial screening and management, or at least the setup in terms of identifying the needs and identifying the best prospective contractors to tap and, and suppliers to tap to uh, to keep all the wheels rolling. I imagine that if, uh, you know, let's say you're doing five or six projects in a year and they all need windows, you can't keep going back to the same well to, to ask for, for more. So you have to sort of manage that whole process to, to keep uh, all the ships afloat. Yeah, we do have a process we use. We have a projects committee, and uh, I had the projects committee, and there's three of us on that. One is a uh, one of our members is an engineer. Uh, one is a now retired builder. He was a substantial builder in our market, and so we'll review the initial requests along with Patty Kane, who's our executive director, and then we will do site visits and get to know the project, get to know the people, get to know the need, and then figure out, okay, now we've seen this. Now we'll get together with our board and we'll say, this is the project, this is the scope. 
let's start tapping on shoulders. Who can we reach out to? And oftentimes, some of our builder members will just take on a project themselves. We've had some great builders that'll say, we're just going to do this and just leave us alone. And they'll tap into their supplier stream, whether it be windows, decking, whoever. And oftentimes, these builders would just do the whole project and not charge us or the client anything. So we have great members that are willing to go above and beyond. So to your point, yeah, we can, we're not always going to manufacturer A. We're leveraging relationships throughout the industry to try and make our, you know, make our money go far as we can. Well, as a non-for-profit yourselves, it's really important that you make those budgets stretch. I see that uh, essentially since your founding that you have made in-kind contributions of more than $20 million worth of materials and labors to the project. So that is a, a heck of an accomplishment, sir. How do you guys go about raising funds on your own? I noticed on some of your social media pages that you've had some different events. Uh, what's been most successful for you? We have a, a number of ways we go. A lot of our, um, our our member our builder members of the Building Industry Association will have a checkoff box where they'll donate money to us each year. Uh, we have a each year we have a bowl and oyster roast where we give an award to really a luminary in our industry, someone who has really made a difference in the building industry and also has made a difference in, in the not for profit world. And so that tends to be a, a large fundraiser where sometimes we can raise towards a hundred to one hundred fifty thousand dollars just off that alone, and that's a, a marquee event for us to have each year. We've had people donate something called a front foot benefit, which to not get into the weeds, it's a basically a utility payment that um, property owners make uh, to developers over 20 years. And we've had people donate those. And so we have ongoing income from that. It's, it's funny. It's if, if enough people are working hard, the money seems to come in. But, you know, by all means, we, we need it from any source we can find because, you know, just in the last Five years, we've put, we've invested two point three million dollars into the local community alone. Well, your marketing is impressive. Your website's well done. I think it, it's representative of the quality of the organization. Now, you're the Home Builders Care Foundation of Maryland. Are there HBCF organizations outside of Maryland? I believe there are others that you know that do this. I'd have to venture to guess that we were one of the first, just because of the you know nineteen eighty. I think it was 283 is when this was originally, you know, kicked off. But I don't think people have been doing it as long as we have and as, you know, successfully as we have been doing it. But I know there are other builders throughout the country, building industry associations that do give back to their communities. Yeah, I know there there are many that give back to their communities. I, I love the fact that you're identifying uh, non-for-profits within your communities. And as we've said earlier, allowing them to do what they do and, and you're supporting them by creating a facility that is really functional and beautiful and is going to serve them and their clients for, for, for a long time. I think that's very, very unique. Uh, let me ask you this. As the business has evolved for HBCF, as all the years you've been involved in it, had there come a time where you faced a challenge and kind of had to change gears in terms of how you were doing things? I think that that's a, a moment that many professionals face in their, in their time in business. It sometimes you get to a point where something's not just working and you have to make hard decisions. Well, I guess there, I guess there may be two points in time, um, but they both ended up being much better off. Years ago, some years ago, about eight, nine years ago in Maryland, there was two uh, building industry associations, one for the Baltimore market and basically one for the D.C. market were the two large ones. And then there was an Eastern Shore and a Western Maryland. And we, because of 
changing economies and changing times, we combined the two major ones. Basically, we wrapped all of them up into one. And so we combined two industry associations that had different cultures and different approaches to things and made one group out of it. But that ended up strengthening the Home Builders Care Foundation because we had more members and more people to draw from. Of course, the challenge was we had a bigger geography to cover. And so, you know, now pretty much statewide. I guess the other challenge we had was really, you know, when COVID hit, it, you know, changed the world for everybody. Builders, we we're essential people. So, you know, I kept on going to work every day because you can't build a house and you can't build a facility remotely. And so like, we go out in the world. So, but we had all these people and still working, but we couldn't go into facilities to work because of concerns of COVID. Yeah. Not to mention supply chain that must have impacted you as well. No, the supply chain, yeah, that's, it's Still. getting better, but it's a nightmare <laughs> yeah. now, but, you know, a year and a half ago, a year ago, it was just, it was like whack-a-mole. Every day you get a phone call, you know, what do you mean there's no white available? And so you're right, that does affect our ability to, to work on these projects. Well, it's interesting bringing those two separate associations together. Now you had everybody in the same sandbox and for a good cause. What a, what a great way to mend fences, though, huh? Oh, yeah, it was, and it was it, it was a there was a committee that to put the two community associations together, and there was a lot of hard work to do so, but it was all for a good cause, and and now you know it really is. I've been on the board for the MBIA for a number of years, probably fifteen years, and I was a past president. But homebuilders care is so much more fun because we get to do fun things that really impact people when you. When you figure that you've done, you know, you've helped really thousands of people um, by providing beds, shelter units for them. It's it's pretty amazing. Well, well done, sir. Dave London, uh, division president for Timberlake Homes and a board member for the Home Builders Care Foundation. Thanks so much for for being a part of the Profiles podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about the work that the Home Builders Care Foundation does, please go to their website hbcf. Thanks, Dave, and have a great day. Thank you so much for having me.